Well, good morning. As I take up the offering, I'll go ahead and jump in and get started with this. We are in the midst of our marriage series that Mark has done just a masterful job of reminding us what biblical marriage looks like. And the standard is not what we see in the world. The standard is where God put it in his word. And, and he's done so great at doing that and, uh, and has allowed me to tag in for a week and, uh, and kind of share my heart um, on some things with, uh, with you guys today. And like, well, what do you know about marriage? I, I'm married. Uh, and so that's, that's one thing I do know. Matter of fact, um, if you rewind the clock, Easter 2001, uh, at home plate at the Dell Diamond, I got on a knee and I asked Amy to marry me. We actually have a picture. There it was, that beautiful day. The most impressive thing is Mark's mustache, I think, um, of all of that that's, that's there. But, uh, and I have hair. That's kind of impressive. And uh, anyway, so that's, that's good. More hair, less stomach uh, that year in my life. But um, so that was April Easter uh, 2001. Fast forward, September 22, 2001, which is actually this coming Saturday, uh, was the day that we got married. And so we have one of those too, I think. Ah, there we go. Right here in this very spot is where um, Tim walked her down the aisle, gave her to me. And um, she looks like she's 12, but she wasn't. I promise it was legal. And um, But man, what a, what a day that was. Again, I had hair uh, at that time. Interesting thing that, that was about that, that weekend of our, of our wedding. You think about it, September 22nd, 2001, that's 11 days after 9-11. And uh, well, that happened just this last Monday. And you think about that and the impact that that had on our country, the impact that had. Uh, my brother lived in Canada and, and literally was on the first plane that was allowed to leave the airport and made it just in time for our wedding. Uh, my best man was in Colorado and he was able to get on a plane. Um, on our honeymoon, it was a May, there were four people, me and Amy and another couple on a 747, all to ourselves because that's kind of how I roll with the honeymoon. And uh, it's pretty impressive, huh, babe? And uh, so we had the plane all to ourselves. She wasn't impressed at all. But, uh, but a lot of people would say, man, that's, that is the most difficult tragedy our country has ever faced. That's the most difficult thing that, that we've ever had to go through as a country. What I didn't know is 10 years later would be my own tragedy, would be my own 911 in my life, and I'll, I'll tag in. So um, seven and a half years ago, almost, on April 24th, 2011, it happened to be Easter Sunday that year, and Alan found out that I was having an affair. And over the course of the next several hours, and um, a very reluctant confession on my part, uh, he found out that there had actually been three affairs over six years, starting in uh, 2005 and going up to that point in 2011. Um, I was obviously in a very dark place. Um, later, over the next several months in counseling, uh, discovered that there were some things that had happened um, in middle school and high school that had affected me. Um, things that I knew about, but I didn't realize how they had affected me. Things that I had kind of stuffed and repressed, and and uh, they kind of came out. And um, and so with those things um, coupled with, I just became disconnected from the Lord, um, disconnected from Alan, um, you know, with a, with a mom, with just one at that point, and then Molly came in later and became very concentric, and, and so with the disconnection and, and processing this other stuff that had happened to me, um, I was just very, I was very broken, um, and I was married to this incredible man that loved me and supported me and cared for me, um, but yet... 
I was um, looking for attention. When, when other men gave me attention, it meant more to me than from my husband. He's my husband. He has to say it. Um, so somehow it meant more to me coming from other people, and, and it just fed something in me, um, and I was spiraling. And for six years, I just felt like I was drowning because I'm carrying this around with me. And um, I didn't want to do it. It wasn't something I was seeking out. It wasn't something that that I wanted to keep doing. Um, there was this inner battle within me, um, but I couldn't stop. Every time I would stop, I would say, I'm not going to do it again. And I meant it. Every time I meant it. Because I didn't want to do it. Um, but I was just, I didn't have control. And um, I thought about confessing, not to Alan, because I knew it would crush him. Um, but I knew unconfessing keeps us separated from the Lord. I knew that, that that was causing a disconnect. So I knew if I was going to get back in a good place with the Lord, I needed to, con- to confess it. And so I thought about confessing. There were some different women I thought I could go to, but I knew that any godly woman I told would tell me I needed to tell him. And that wasn't an option for me. And so I just, I just dealt with it. I kept, kept it. I tried to serve it away and Bible study it away and pray it away. And I tried to do all these things that I knew I needed to be doing, but it wasn't, it wasn't doing anything because I was still just in this place, this dark place, and it was killing me. And so... Um, three days before that Sunday that he found out. It was a Thursday night. He was out of town speaking at a youth event, and um, the kids were at my parents' house. And I was on my way home from Austin. I'd been with this third and final man, and um, I, I just saw, started sobbing, weeping in my car, and I pulled over. I remember the exact place I was at on Mopac on the way home. And I just cried out to God, and I said, I don't want to keep doing this. Why do I keep doing this? And I said to him, I said, you're going to have to stop it. I want to stop, but I don't have the power to stop it. And I'm not going to confess. So you're going to have to stop it. And three days later, um, through a Facebook message that was supposed to be private, it posted to Facebook. It wasn't anything incriminating, but it was to this, this man, and it posted to Facebook, and he saw it. And confronted me because it was enough to kind of put a, you know, it was a red flag. And so that started the process of, of me telling him all the stuff that I've been carrying around with me for six years. And so at that point, um, I felt a freedom. Um, yeah, I was sad because I saw the, the effect it was having on him in that moment. Um, and I was terrified of the repercussions. You know, am I going to lose my family? Is he going to leave me? Is he going to take my kids? But this weight that I'd been carrying around with me for six years was lifted off. And so there was some freedom in that. But the problem was now that weight had been dropped on him. And he was not going to have to live with the consequences of my sin. You're brave. Um, you can imagine, obviously, worst day of my life to to have that moment and find out Everything you thought was this awesome decade of a marriage turned into I don't know what. And I've been asked, what, how do you describe how that felt? And the only thing I can say is like someone took a potato, potato peeler and just peeled all the skin off me. I was just raw and hurting and, and I couldn't fix it. I didn't know what to do because everything hurt. And emotionally, physically, spiritually, it was just all of that kind of combined in there. And I thought, man, where do you go? What do you do? The one person I want to go to is the person that caused this. 
how do you reconcile that in your head? How do you, how do you say, I'm hurting like I've never hurt before and I need something and you're the one that's been there, but you're the one that caused this. I don't want to go hug a cactus. I mean, all it does is hurt. And, and that's what it felt like I was about to do in, in doing that. So I'm like, I don't know what to do, where to go. How do you, how do you figure this out? And, and so it took me about 48 hours to really get my head even in a place where I could talk about it, even in a place where I could share it all. And, and so Tuesday, this was Sunday night, Easter Sunday, um, that I found this out. And so Tuesday after staff meeting, I went into to Mark's office and, and just vomited and just said, here's where I'm at. And, um, and I'm so grateful. And, and what he said week one is true. Not a counselor, um, but man, does he have some resources. He had something that he put his arm around me and said, we're going to get through this because I thought, well, I'll, you need my resignation letter. You need, you know, I'm done. Uh, and, and he said, no, this wasn't on you, but we're going to do this for your family. And uh, so he contacted a guy named Rick Reynolds uh, with a fair recovery, uh, which is an amazing ministry. And um, somehow the Lord intervened and we were able to get in within a week um, to go and, and sit with this man and sit with, with Rick Reynolds. I was a little bit leery, if I'm being honest with you, um, and we are being honest with you today. Um, I'm not sure I wanted to go to him because Rick is a guy that had an affair on his wife uh, years ago. And I'm like, why do I want to go sit with a cheater? He's going to take her side. It's going to be my fault somehow. It's going to... And so I was very skeptical about it. And, and we go in to our meeting with him. And, and he had heard our story. Mark had kind of given him a brief on that. And, and we go in and kind of tell a little bit of how it happened kind of stuff. And then his, uh, his question to us right off the bat, he, he turned to Amy and said, now, you're a pastor's wife, right? Yeah. You're a pastor's daughter, right? Because her dad was actually our worship pastor at the time, for those that are, uh, didn't know that. But um, so you're a pastor's wife, you're a pastor's daughter. And she said, yeah, I am. And he goes, so you know what the wages of sin is, right? And she said, yeah. And he goes, well, what's the wages of sin? And she said, death. And he said, so anything short of killing you is actually merciful by Alan. And I'm like, dang, right. That, that, I... I I didn't know what to do with my emotions. I didn't know what to do with my anger. I didn't know what to do with all these things that I was feeling. And he validated my anger in that moment. He didn't give me permission to sin. In your anger, do not sin. But he gave me permission to be mad. And that's okay. And, and boy, did that help me so much in that. And as we kind of processed through the story and what went on, there were, like she said, three different guys. Two of them were involved in Powell's Theater up in Georgetown where she did community theater. One of them was actually here at church. Um, and, and, and so in that, and so he's talking that through and he goes, well, let's kind of talk through this. And he said, now this, this theater stuff, um, in Georgetown, I think it's okay for her to go back to the theater. And I'm like, you are drunk. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking. And he said, no, 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 I think it's okay for her to go back when she's 90. And I went, fair enough. I'll be dead. That's okay. Uh, I can deal with that. But, but in a, in the most intense moment of my life, in the most heavy, the most raw, the most hurting moment he was able to bring something to me to get me off the ledge to get me away from that point of just feeling like i was so alone and so going crazy in my head and all that went on with that and so i was i was grateful that i began to get a little bit of handles on this stuff but i i had one question that i wanted the answer to and that was why why would you do this i think I think I'm an okay husband. I'm not the best husband, but I think I'm okay. I, you guys have heard me for years talk about how hot she is and how amazing she is. And I love my wife and all the things. And, and those words weren't enough now. And, and so why? Why would, why would you do this? And he said, all right, there's one question that you can't ask, and that's why. And I'm like, gosh, I hate this guy. And, um, and he says, she doesn't know why. If she knew why, she wouldn't have done it. 
If she knew why, she would have stopped. If she knew why, she wouldn't have done it over and over again. Let me get to the why. And I just had to trust that this guy knew what he was doing. And so I said, okay. And she began some pretty intensive counseling with him individually and us together. Uh, So um, I went to him once a week in the beginning and then a couple times a month and saw him for about a year. And uh, like I said earlier, kind of referred to, there there were some things that we dug up um, just through his counseling process. some things that had happened in middle school and high school, some by my choice, just positions that I had put myself in or, or allowed myself to, to be in, um, and then some things that I that I didn't have control over that, that had happened to me. And so just how those imprint on us and affect how, how I was thinking about myself and just my viewpoint of myself and my value and my worth and um, just believing some lies about myself that weren't true. And so we we were able to uncover a lot of that, and then I was able to take that and start um, just claiming it in the name of Jesus and and really finding my worth in Christ and finding who I was in Christ and ultimately who I belonged to and that those things didn't define me or didn't determine who I was. And then there were um, some, some, well, a scripture, a chunk of scripture he gave me to memorize, Psalm 51, um, I memorized in that season, and it's actually the, the psalm that David wrote coming out of the affair with Bathsheba, um, his cry to the Lord for redemption and restoration and um, created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That comes out of that, that scripture, and so I memorized that, took that to heart. And there's a verse in Hosea. I spent a lot of time in Hosea for obvious reasons, probably. Um, there's a verse in chapter 6 that talks about how the Lord allows us to be ripped apart so that he can put us back together again. And so I just claimed that and prayed that and held on to that, knowing that, that God was going to restore me and God was going to put me back together again. He was going to make me whole again. And so I just held on to that in that season. And then in August of that year, uh, Affair Recovery is a ministry, Rick Riddle's ministry that he started. And there's um, something they have called EMS Weekend. It's Emergency Marriage Seminar. They do it once a month. It's a three-day marriage intensive where you go, and it's all couples that are walking through some sort of infidelity and there's just tools. Um, they take there's small groups and large group, and you break out into unfaithful spouses and betrayed spouses, and just all kinds of mixtures of that. And we just got some really good handles um, on what we were going through, and it gave us some really good tools to teach us how to communicate with each other and um, and how to be able to start connecting again and process through this. And so that began a long learning curve for us. Lots of things to learn through this. And, and just kind of want to talk some about some things that I learned. She learned some things there. There's some things that also I had to learn in this. One of the things that I learned is this. No affair is 100%, 0%. And we have a tendency to say, well, she did this. Now, is there anything I did that would justify her cheating? No, there's not. That's that's not okay. And it's it's never justified in that way. Um, even if, if one is living in a sin, you know, here that doesn't justify you piling on with, with sin in that way. Um, but I did recognize that no affair is 100%, 0%. And I would be absolutely a moron if I didn't look at myself and say, what can I learn in this? What role did I play in contributing to her thinking in this way? And and what the Lord revealed to me in that time is this, is that I have, I have a responsibility of leadership. Um, would that have corrected everything that happened to her as a kid or all the thinking that went into her head as a result of some of the trauma? N- not necessarily. That's God's job to, to heal that. But my job, our job, men, 
husbands, students that are preparing to be husbands someday. We've been given this mantle of leadership, and, and I blew it in some areas when it came to leading to intimacy because I messed up what intimacy is. And as long as you're physically active with each other, then you're intimate. And I can check that box that we're okay. That's not it. That, that's really wrong. Um, intimacy, by definition, when you look at what the word says, into me, see. It's a spiritual and emotional side before it ever gets to the physical side. And there were ways I was not leading spiritually to intim- intimacy and emotionally to intimacy because we just had our schedules. And it was easy to say, well, I'm just going to stay up and watch the end of the game and you go to bed or she's going to do this little project and I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go play cards with the guys. I'm going to go do whatever. And as long as the kids are okay, then we're okay. And that's that's not the right way of thinking. And I I blew it in that. And and I just want to say this just real quick, and, and I'm going to kick into this mode for a second. But if you're a student, 7th through 12th grade, would you stand up for just a second, please? Um, I know a lot of you over there, but... But you're here. Let me just speak to you as a youth pastor real quick for a second. Choices that you're making now have lasting effect. You don't know it. You don't know how far into the future they can go. And that's why we fight so hard for you to stay pure, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Gentlemen, to learn how to lead spiritually to intimacy, you have to learn how to be intimate with your Savior first. You will never be a great groom until you're a great bride. And you have to be the bride of Christ before you can be a groom to love your bride well. And girls, you don't have to give anything up. You don't have to do anything to receive love. You are loved at maximum capacity by your Heavenly Father. Let that be enough for you and save yourself for that man. Um, it's not worth it in this. And I'm not saying everything contributed to that, that, hey, if you do that before marriage, you're going to have an affair. Please don't hear me say that. God is bigger than that. But I'm saying make choices now so that you can have the best possible success when you're married you guys kind of see i just need to kick into that for a second because that's my heart um number two thing i learned is this is this church loved us well um i've seen a lot of places people get rejected and cast out and and that wasn't the case um arms were wrapped around us we didn't have elder boards at that time and so we didn't have that group uh mark tim bob schwader they they're the ones who kind of stepped in and just kind of surrounded us and talked through what this may look like and talked through um, how to go forward and, and what that looks like. And, and we can talk more about that. But um, but there were definitely things they said, all right, Amy has now eliminated herself from being on praise team for several years. She's not going to lead a small group for several years. She needs to work on her and get healed. We're not kicking her out. We're putting her in a place of healing. And, and, and I so appreciated the way the church loved me because I was going crazy a lot in my head. And there were many times I went to Mark or Tim's office and just, ah, and they just loved me. And they helped me get centered again. I, I, I apologize to those of you that are older that were youth at that time. I probably wasn't the best youth pastor in the world for those years. Um, I sat at my desk a lot checking her email every 15 seconds to see something. And people say, gosh, that's kind of obsessive of you. The goal wasn't to catch her doing wrong. The goal was to catch her doing right so it would help me heal. And every time I refreshed it and there wasn't an email to some guy or from some guy, it helped me heal. And so I was catching her doing right, and she, she was willing to own that there. Um, the next thing is, is I got a new understanding of the definition of forgiveness. Uh, I thought I understood it. I thought I could talk about it. Um, but you never really understand forgiveness till you know how much you've been forgiven. And and I recognize that that what it's easy to say what she did was really bad. It's the worst thing. 
but it's not as bad as what I've done because I've cheated on God with my affections. And matter of fact, my choices killed his son. And I did commit murder. And, and he forgave me for that. And if he can forgive me for the things that I've done, why can't I work towards forgiving her for the things that she's done? And I had to get a new definition of forgiveness. And, and she shared one earlier. Forgiveness is um, being willing to pay the price for someone else's sin. That's what Jesus did. He defined forgiveness by saying, I'll get on the tree and pay for your sin. That's a big deal. And so I had to learn what this was and, and how much that hurt and difficult to walk through in that. Another definition was giving up all hope of ever having a better past. Because if I live in the past, I'll never enjoy the future that God has for me. And I can get stuck there. And I can just spin in a circle and stay stuck in that past. And that's not what God wants for us. The enemy wants to destroy us in that way, but God doesn't. And so I had to give up all hope of ever having a better past. There's nothing I could do that make what she did go away. It's there. But the last thing is understanding that forgiveness is a gift I give myself. For so long, I thought I have to give her the gift of forgiveness. I have to forgive her for this. Now, forgiveness is a gift I give myself that says I'm not going to let what she did rule my mind. I'm going to give myself permission to not dwell on that. And I give myself that gift of forgiveness that that stuff goes away. And I take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ so I can focus on him, which allows me to love her. And, and that was a huge new aha moment of forgiveness that's there because it's always just what Jesus did. And it's easy to check that box. But it became very real to me. I probably need to apologize to my family. Um, some are here today. Uh, when we got married back in 2001, I went to Mark and said, I want you to put in our vows the words, I will not divorce you. Because there's a lot of divorce in my family and they were coming to the wedding. And I'm going to show them that, that divorce isn't an option for us. Da, da, da. Ten years later, I had to decide if I really meant those words or not. Because according to Scripture, I had permission, right? She was unfaithful. I can divorce her. That's not what God said. For better, for worse. And this was the worst. And I had to make a choice in that. And then the last thing that I learned was about boundaries. Obviously, social media was gone for her. And some of you got upset. She wasn't on Facebook for a long time. Shame on you. Uh, for telling her she should be on Facebook. Um, but you didn't know. I understand that. And the patience that she had in these boundaries that, that, that we had, I had to ask questions a lot. Um, I had to ask her probably a hundred million times, am I enough? Because I didn't feel enough. Like if I was enough, you wouldn't have gone outside the marriage. But why? You know, and so she would just say, I'm sorry that my actions hurt you. I did this and you're enough because God's enough. And you talk about healing and that, the ownership that she took to be able to do that. Um, she owned that thing. So we made some adjustments. Bedtime, we're going to go to bed at the same time. We may not go to sleep at the same time. We're going to go to bed at the same time. It doesn't matter what's going on. If we're in town and home together, we're going to get in bed at the same time. And sometimes that means she stays up a little bit later because I'm working on something or I stay. Or, but we get in bed together because that's what we need to do. We're not going to lower our guard with this intimacy anymore on that. Um, and then one of the things that, that we found was we started doing puzzles together. Um, turn the TV off where there's no interaction. Um, and good night. 90% of the shows have an affair in it, it seems like, all the time. Why is that a storyline all the time? We're making it normal in our culture. I'm sick of that. But, uh, but we started doing puzzles together. So it was us against something. And we will beat this puzzle together. And in that moment, God showed me such an incredible picture that said, Alan, your marriage is a puzzle. And you and Amy are the two pieces that fit together. And you don't fit with anybody else. 
And I was able to tell her, you tried. You tried to fit with someone else, but you don't. You fit with me. When you try to force a puzzle piece where it doesn't belong, the picture gets skewed. And you have to be with the, part, the puzzle piece that fits. And you fit me, and I fit you, and we fit together, and dang it, we're going to fight for that. I'm going to fight that our picture looks like Jesus. I don't care about the hurt. I don't care about the stuff. This is important that we fit together, and we're not going to try to fit with anybody else. And that was, that was a big thing for me and, and us fighting together because at that season, she wasn't able to fight for us. She'd lost her ability to fight. I had to fight for both of us for a season, and that was, that was kind of a big deal on that. And that was so. huge for me in that time, too, was because there had been that disconnect there, to hear him say, you're not my enemy. He would tell me, you're not my enemy. I'm not fighting against you. I'm fighting for you. You and I are fighting together against the enemy. And he would say things like that, and, and it was just encouraging me, um, encouraging to me during that time because I, I didn't know where what was going to happen. I didn't know where we were going to land. And so to hear him repetitively tell me, I'm fighting for you, I'm fighting for you, was just such an encouragement to me. And it helped us reconnect. And it helped me um, know that he was on, on my side in this. And God ultimately was the one who did it. But, but there's, I just want to give you a couple things that we learned together. You heard what she learned, what I learned. What we learned together is this. Um, and I recognize that telling this story, this is a pretty juicy piece of gossip that you can go out and share and say, guess what my pastor's wife did. Um, if that's your goal, I hope God convicts your heart in the next few minutes. Um, if you walk out of here talking about that this is a story of an affair, you're wrong because this is a story of redemption. See, because God makes things new. He doesn't make things just better. The goal was never to get our old marriage back. It was broken. We needed a new marriage, and only God could do that. And so we had to decide, what are we going to do? How is this? And there was a lot of fear. If I'm being completely transparent with you, I was scared because the guys that she had the affair with, um, I found out on Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is the day that I proposed to her. Easter Sunday is kind of a big deal for pastors. Like she ruined Easter for me. And, and the guy at church was a part of the worship band for Disciple Now many years ago. And now she ruined Disciple Now. Like, it's not like I can go, sorry, Mark, I'll be skipping Easter as long as I'm on staff here. Like, I can't get away with that. I can't go, well, y'all have a good Disciple Now. I'm going to check out. Like, those are huge things, and she ruined those things. And I'm like, how can I ever go through those again? How can I go back every year, Disciple Now Easter, Disciple Now Easter? How can, I'll, I'll never make it. It's going to destroy me. It's too heavy, God. And I'm still raw, and this is the first year, and everything's so fresh. And I'm crying out, and we're crying out, like, how is this going to be different? How can this change? And so that was, that was April of Easter. You fast forward around to January as we're getting ready for Disciple Now. And it's the week of Disciple Now, and I'm on freak-out mode. I'm trying to get everything done. I'm trying to make it happen, but my heart is racing all the time, and I don't know how I'm going to handle the weekend and what's going to happen. And I come home from work on Tuesday night of the of disciple now and and i come home from work and and they've already eaten dinner because i had to work late and I, I come home and amy and colby and molly are sitting on the couch together looking at me and i'm like well, what what's going on and amy says colby wants wants to talk and i said okay what's up bud and he said daddy i want to give my life to jesus now i had talked him out of it probably 10 times because i figure if i can talk him out of it so can someone else and i want him to know that he knows that he wants jesus and I couldn't talk him out of it that night. He was determined to give his life to Christ. And we called grandparents and we celebrated and it was great. And the very next day was our Disciple Now kickoff for the next year. 
And we're right in here in this building and all the host homes and co-hosts and leaders and students are all out here. Some of you were a part of that night. And so to kick off our disciple now that next year, here's a video of what happened. That's redemption. (sighs) You know, our theme of Disciple Now this year was bigger than. Because God is bigger than anything we can face in our lives. And I thought there was nothing bigger than these affairs. I thought there was nothing bigger than my marriage maybe being over. I thought there was nothing bigger than losing everything. And God said, you didn't lose everything. You're about to get everything. And that night... Colby gave his life to Christ, and he declared it before everybody, and it was awesome. And the yelling and the cheering, man, and I watched that video, it gets me every dang time. And because I know what I was going through in that moment, and nobody else did. And, and we're walking through that, and God redeemed disciple now, and it's no longer when she cheated, it's when my son gave his life to Christ. He redeemed it with something better. And then, oh wait, hold on. Then you fast forward to, to Easter in April that year. And I'm like, ah, here comes that thing. And, and it's coming up. And, and what happens on Easter Sunday, Tim Hammontree, her dad, um, who was our worship pastor at the time, me and Tim got to get in that baptistry right there and baptize Colby on Easter Sunday. And now Easter is not when I caught her. Easter is when my son was baptized and went public with his faith. God redeems things to make them better. God doesn't redeem things to cover them up. God is not a God who works in the shadows. God is a God who works in the light. And when we're willing to reveal it and willing to walk with him, he will heal it. He will make it better. He will make it new. He doesn't just say, it's okay, here's a Band-Aid. He gives you something brand new. And he is in the redemption business. And you need to walk out of here today not saying it's a story of an affair, but it is a story of redemption. It is a story of how big our God is. And he's bigger than some of the stuff that hurts so bad. And he knows, he's familiar with pain, and he's familiar with loss, and he's familiar with grief, and he's bigger than all of that. And I praise God for that in that moment that was there. And I could tell you ten more stories of redemption, of little things that God's done in our marriage that were triggers for me or or thoughts for her that God has redeemed in that. But we don't have time to go in that. We can tell you more later if you want. Number two thing that we learned is that we needed to tell our kids. And, and our son Colby is 13 now, Molly is 11, um, and this was a year ago, so they were 12 and 10, when God said, you need to tell them. And uh, like, oh, okay. So we went up to the playroom, and we sat down together on the couch. And we said, guys, we need to share something with you here. And, and uh, Amy shared the story similar to what she shared earlier this morning. And um, to see the look of hurt on your kids' faces is tough. Um, Probably tougher for her than me in that moment. But we shared that and we said, what are you thinking? Where are you at with this? And and Colby says, I, I have a question. And we said, okay, buddy. He goes, it's kind of a weird question. I'm like, you're a friend. It's, that's normal. And uh, And he said, but I want to know this. Do I have a brother or sister out there somewhere? And I'm thinking, this is a pretty sheltered homeschool kid. And that's where his mind went. What has our culture done? What have we projected through media and conversations in life that a 12-year-old kid would immediately think an affair means someone got pregnant? 
And we were able to say in that moment and say, listen, son, it's a fair question, but you need to know mommy didn't do with those men what it would take to have a baby. She crossed the line physically way too far, but she didn't do that. And you never saw her leave and get a belly and have a baby in the hospital. Like uh, you saw that with your sister. Like, but logic flies out the window because the enemy wants to paint everything with a dark cloud. And, and so he, he asked that question and that really shocked our hearts a little bit to be able to, to say that and share that. Hey, you know, this is what mommy did. This is what she didn't do. And we were able to clarify that. And then we look at Molly and say, hey, all right, what's going on? And she kind of turtled into pillows and she just kind of sunk in. And, and Amy was so wise to say, Molly, tell us what you're feeling. What are you feeling? And she just kind of shook her head. And, and then Amy, again, in her wisdom says, are you, are you mad at Mommy? Molly said, yeah, and started crying. And, uh, and Amy said, it's okay. You can be mad at Mommy. I didn't do a good thing. And gave her permission to be mad. And then gave her permission to be sad and gave her permission to have all the feelings that she needed to feel. And, and that was really eye-opening for us, too, to recognize that our choices affect other people all the time. And it's the people that we love the most. And, um, and so she had to process through some of her emotions. And I, I will tell you this, too. I want to give you permission to offer permission to go through the, the emotions that you may have. And I recognize that there may be people sitting in this room right now who have walked through infidelity in your own life. And maybe she's a trigger and she's a representation of what hurt you before. And I'm sorry for that. Um, I, I hope that's not the label that you would put on her. Um, but but she, she may be that. We also understand that there's people in here that have loved me a long time. I've been your youth pastor. I've been your pastor for a long time. And you may take up an offense for me. And, and that's okay. Um, and be mad at her because she hurt me in this way. I get it. I'm seven and a half years beyond this now. And so my rawness has gone away. God has redeemed and put skin on me again, and I'm able to function. Um, but it's fresh for you, and I understand that. Please know you have permission to be mad. You have permission to be sad. In your anger, do not sin. So please do not hurt her. But, um, but you do have permission to be mad. You do have permission to be sad, to have the feelings. And this may stir some stuff up for you, and I understand that. Our goal is not to cause pain. It's, it's, it's to open a conversation so that people can find hope. Amy admits to be drowning for six years, and I didn't even know it. And she was stuck in this secret sin. See, and that, now that word changes things because we've been talking about an affair, so we can narrow it down to that one sin. Now I've opened it up to secret sin. And what secret sin has been going on in our lives? All of us have one or more that we've dealt with in our lives or are dealing with in our lives. Where are we at with that? Here's an opportunity for hope. Here's an opportunity to find that forgiveness and that grace and that mercy that walks in there. Um, and so that was important for us to, to understand on that um, that's there. And, and so then the last thing that we learned is this. Because we knew we were going to tell our story today, which was challenging, if I'm being honest. She wanted to tell it before I did. Um, some of that's fear because, because I didn't want people labeling her. Um, I didn't want people to say, wow, she's an adulteress. Like... Because she's not. She is a child of God who committed adultery. And please understand that you are not defined by what you've done or what's been done to you. You are defined by who you belong to. And she's been bought with a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. And it covers all of her sins. Even the ones that hurt me to my core. And so there's a little fear. There's a little pride in me, if I'm being honest. Because I thought, okay, are people going to look at me and go, you can't take care of your wife. So she had to go somewhere else. You're not a man. And the enemy gets in my head and starts telling me that. And I come, am I enough? 
yes, you're enough, Alan. I'm sorry that my actions hurt you. We've had that conversation many times through the years. And I had to get past that because my pride doesn't matter. And, And we were told that a story that's not told can't make an impact. And we needed to tell our story. And this is a safe place to do it. And so in every story, there's a villain and a hero. That's what makes a story great, right? That's what we have, the good and the bad of stories. I just want you to know this, that in this story, Amy is not the villain. Please don't label her as that. Please don't put that on her because that's not who she is. And, and what we've, we've done is, is not recognize Scripture. It says in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and evil forces of this dark world. She's not my enemy. I have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he got his hooks in her for a time. And by her own volition, she she was a willing participant, but she was sucked in by the things of the enemy. And I hate the devil. And I hate Satan and what he does and how he tries to kill, steal, and destroy. And he tried to do it to my marriage because it looked like heaven. And I will fight for it. And so she's not the villain in this story. Now, Scripture says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? But here's how we've messed up. There are consequences, But we've lumped those words together. We've made condemnation and consequences go together, and they don't. Condemnation says you'll never be enough, you're not good enough, and you're rejected. Consequences say we're going to help restore you. We're going to get you back in line. You stepped out of bounds, we're going to get you back in bounds. Consequences put you back on the right path. Condemnation pushes you further from it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever you're dealing with, there's no condemnation. We have no stones to throw at you. There are consequences, and she had to suffer and still does. She'll never get to do theater again as long as I'm alive. It's not going to happen. Um, but God did restore worship and allowed that to happen. That's another whole story of redemption and how she got back onto the praise team and the work of God that happened in there. So please know, number one, that she is not the villain. The other side of that is this. I am not the hero. It's easy to go, boy, Alan, what a great husband you are, man. You forgave her. You stayed with her. Man, you're awesome. I'm not. I didn't want anything to do with her for a while. It hurts. I'm not the hero of this story. God's the hero of this story. God's the one that came in and said, I will carry you when you can't walk. I will pull you out of the miry pit. I'll pull you out of the muck. I'll pull you out of this crud. I will get you there. And he's the hero of this story because apart from him, I can't do anything. But I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I can even restore this marriage and and love her incredibly. I would never wish what we've gone through on any one of you. But I would challenge any of you to have a better marriage than we do right now. We understand boundaries. We understand intimacy. We understand consequences. We keep our guard up because it's important. And I, and I would challenge you on that as well. So don't, don't make me the hero. Don't make her the villain. Remember, this is a spiritual battle. And God's already won it. We've got to live victorious. We don't have to live in defeat of that. And, and are there still good days and bad days? Yeah, I mean, there's still hard times. There's still triggers that hit my head. I'm like, ah, and I have to come back and ask questions. And we'll still argue or whatever. I mean, it's not like we're perfect. But, man, we serve a perfect God. And he gives hope to the hopeless And he gives healing to the broken. And he can restore anything. If he can beat death, he can beat anything we're going through while we're alive. And we can't forget that because that's a huge piece of this thing. Um, One of the... One of the things that, that meant a lot to us is a song called Beautiful Things by Gunger. I'm going to ask the band to come play that. Um, and, and here's why. The, it really met us where we were in our journey here. 
And um, the very first words of the whole song start with all this pain. And that, that described my life for a long time. And it felt like everything, there was a new pain every day. And uh, I mean, I'd rather go through hip replacement ten more times than go through what I did um, with this. But those words really stuck with us and encouraged us and reminded us that God is bigger than what we are going through. And I don't know where you're at with where you're sitting right now. But our desire is to start conversations and give you safe places to talk, to, to find some hope, um, to do that. We're, we're going to come back at 5 o'clock tonight. Um, if anybody wants to come for a Q&A, Mark can define that a little bit better here in a second. But, but this isn't something we're going to tell this story and then don't ever ask us about it because we're done talking about it. No, we're opening the door to have conversations and be a resource. We don't have it all figured out. We're just seven and a half years down the journey. And, and we're willing to walk it. And we have. God's allowed us to walk it with some people. But, but we don't have it all figured out. But we point to Jesus who does. And, and want to give you a safe place. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't go forward and pray right now. I can't. Everybody's going to think I'm having an affair. No, there's no stones to throw in this place right now. And our, our elders are going to be available. Our prayer teams are going to be available. If you just want someone to pray for you, or maybe you have someone that you need to pray for because you know they're going through it. Every one of you have a circle of influence. You have circles that you're around at work and school and different places. And maybe you know people that have struggled with some of this stuff. Man, come pray for them. Um, this is on Facebook Live right now. It'll be on our, our Facebook page for the church for a while. It'll be on our YouTube page for the church. Give that link to them. Tell them. Watch this. And maybe it'll be an encouragement. Maybe it'll be some hope where there's hopelessness. Maybe that person drowning right now will find a lifeline to Jesus because of our story. That's why we wanted to tell it. And you guys are precious to us. And you're important. You're our family. And this is where we wanted to share our story in the midst of this marriage series that Mark is doing because it directly affected our marriage, obviously. But we're living proof that God is bigger than affairs. He's bigger than hidden sin. He's bigger than trauma. He's bigger than anything. And we trust him for that. So I just want to pray. Um, And when we're done, it's not like a typical response song necessarily. If you need to sit and just receive these words, do that. If you need to stand and receive them, if you need to come forward and get prayed or pray or do whatever you need to do, I just ask you let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let this be a holy moment for just a minute and hang on until Mark closes us out. And let's not be a distraction for what God's doing in the hearts of people right now. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You meet us where we are in our deep, dark, hurting, horrible places, and you still love us. There's nothing we can do that can separate us from the love of Christ. Gosh, we tried. We tried to separate from your love and it just chased us down. And it pulled us out. And it restored and it redeemed and it healed and it still is. And God, every day we keep coming back to you for more of your healing. And I pray right now in this moment, God, that you would speak to hearts and to families. God, I thank you for Colby and Molly sitting through this twice. And thank you that that they gave an example of what forgiveness looks like to us. God, we love you and we praise you and do your thing right now in Jesus' name.